Hey there, this is Brian Zond. We'll get to the sermon in just a moment, but I want to let you know I have a new book out, The Unvarnished Jesus, A Lenten Journey. It is a devotional for the season of Lent. takes the reader from Ash Wednesday, which is February 26th this year, all the way right up to Easter Sunday. So it's a great way to journey with Jesus through Lent, learn how to see Jesus beyond the varnish of the assumptions that we often make. Uh, you can get this book on Amazon, so go ahead and order it now so you'll be ready for two or three pages per day of Lenten devotions, The Unvarnished Jesus, available now at Amazon.com. Lord, we just pause for a moment. Your scriptures say that God dwells in the praises of his people. And so as we lift your name up this morning in this place, we believe that your presence is here among us. Jesus, you also promised that when two or more gathered in your name, that you would be there in the midst of them. You also promised that you would be with us even to the end of the age. And so this morning, we just pause in this moment, in this space, and recognize your presence among us. Send your Holy Spirit this morning to be our guide, our teacher. Open our hearts to receive all that you have to give. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Man, we've already had a great day in the house of the Lord, so now I just get to sit back and relax. I think the worship team did an awesome job leading us in a rich time of worship. But I think, yeah, amen. Can we just give them an applause? Thank you guys for all your hard work and preparation. But I'll preach this morning. Is that okay? Can I preach? Can we do that too? Amen. Our sermon this morning is entitled, From Secret Place to Public Space. And we just heard a reading from the Gospel of John. In fact, the most famous chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And we witnessed this nighttime meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we all know who Jesus is. The scriptures tell us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a leader on the council in Jerusalem. He was a Pharisee, a part of this sect in Israel that we could sum it up like this. They were the take Israel back for God movement. Uh, They were committed to seeing Israel come to repentance, come back to the law of God. And in doing so, as the people would repent and, and align their life with every detail of the law, they believed that they would see the manifestation of the kingdom of God in and through Israel once again. Nicodemus was also a leader on the Sanhedrin. He was one of 71 leaders in this capital city, Jerusalem, and essentially sat on what we would know today as kind of the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. So Nicodemus was a man of position. Nicodemus was a man of power. He was a man of prestige. Nicodemus was a man of pedigree. You know that word? He came from the right family. He went to the right school. He's accomplished all the right accolades in life. Nicodemus had it together. He had succeeded in life. Nicodemus and the Sanhedrin, all of which would have been men of the same kind of power and prestige and pedigree, witnessed the works of Jesus in Jerusalem during this feast of Passover season. You see, Jerusalem would have swollen during the feast of Passover when we see this nighttime meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus take place. It would have swollen to 10 times its normal population as pilgrims from all around the country came into the city to celebrate this highest of all their feasts, Passover. 
Jesus had come from the country region of Galilee and made his way to the capital city, Jerusalem. And there with all of the crowds, all of the streets packed, and especially the temple, Jesus is performing the works of his ministry that we read all throughout the Gospels. He's healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, unstopping deaf ears, and as we would come to know, even raising the dead to life. The Sanhedrin, including Nicodemus, had not only witnessed some of these works, but had heard about all that Jesus was doing. And they had agreed that this must be a man from God. In fact, we see that Nicodemus comes and says, we know you are from God, for no one can do the works that you do unless God was with him. But yet Nicodemus seems to come with a question. They're not yet convinced about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. There's a lingering set of questions in the air, isn't there? And we have our own questions. Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus under the cover of darkness? And why did John explicitly include that detail in his gospel? Because the Sanhedrin and Nicodemus specifically was not yet willing to risk it all for Jesus. Do you understand? They would have been placing all of their bets on this one horse, if you, if you want to use that analogy. They weren't ready to go all in for Jesus quite yet. They were still curious about who he is and what he was here to do. And Jesus knows this as Nicodemus comes to him under the cover of darkness in the secret place so that he, as a representative of the Sanhedrin, would not be seen in public associating with Jesus. And yet Jesus welcomes him in, even with his doubts, his uncertainties, his own shame, if you will, to be seen with Jesus, Jesus welcomes him into a conversation. And Jesus knows the desire of Nicodemus. As a good Pharisee, he desired to see the kingdom of God come and manifest itself. In fact, this is what Jesus was proclaiming and enacting himself, that the kingdom of God had come, that it was here. So Nicodemus and Jesus would have had some things in common as they sit with one another this dark night. And yet the vision that Nicodemus had for the kingdom of God would have been a vision of a certain ethnic group being liberated, Israel, from a certain empire, Rome, during a certain period of time, the first century. But Jesus had a vision for the kingdom that went far beyond what anyone could have imagined. Jesus' coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, was here to liberate all humanity throughout all history, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Jew, Gentile, male, female, everybody gets set free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? So we have Jesus sitting with Nicodemus, knowing that he's come asking, who are you? What are you here to do? Are you here to bring about the liberation of Israel, and are you the Messiah, the one that is going to bring the kingdom of God? Are you from God? And Jesus, Jesus challenges Nicodemus, and he says, I know you want to see the kingdom of God. I know you want to enter into what God is doing. This has been your whole life's work. But if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to participate in what God is doing, let me tell you, Nicodemus, and I believe he speaks to each and every one of us, you're going to have to take it from the top. You're going to have to go all the way to the beginning. Like a little infant, like a child, you're going to need to be born again or born from above. Get a heavenly perspective. Get a fresh perspective of what God is doing. 
reevaluate everything you've learned in life, like a child going back to the very beginning and relearning everything now in the light of Christ. This is the challenge Jesus presents to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus responds, of course, he says, How can this be? I'm an old man, I'm an old dog. And everybody knows what? Uh, you can't teach an old dog to do new tricks. Everybody knows that, Jesus. Come on. You really expect me to take everything from the top? You see the life that I've built, the position I'm in? I don't know that I can risk it all for what you're saying. But Jesus doesn't seem to let Nicodemus off the hook. He pushes in even further as if to reject such a trivial answer from such a prestigious man. John chapter 10, Jesus says this. John 3 verse 10, he says this. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now listen, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Here Jesus answers Nicodemus' first question. Is God with you? Are you from God? Are you the one, the Messiah, the one the prophet spoke of? And Jesus says, yes, yes, I am from God. I've descended from heaven and I am that son of man which the prophet spoke of. And then Jesus continues and this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus turns to a monologue and Jesus begins to unpack the answer to Nicodemus' second question. He answers the question, who are you? I am the son of man. I am from God. And now he's going to unpack, what are you here to do? Verse 14, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus reaches back into the history of Israel to this period of time between the liberation of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt and their deliverance to the promised land. You know that in between times they're wandering in the wilderness and this is a time where Israel would go back and forth rebelling against God and then coming in repentance back to God. And he reaches back into that portion of their history to remind them of the delivering hand of God and a rebellious season during the wilderness, Israel was plagued with venomous serpents. Poisonous snakes were infesting their camp, biting people. People were growing sick and even dying. And so God delivers, as God always does, his people. He speaks to Moses. He says, make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up in the midst of the camp. And everyone who looks upon the serpent on a pole will not fall ill, but be healed and restored to wholeness. And so Moses did what Jesus commanded. And thus we have our modern icon for medicine. If you've seen this, this before on an ambulance or an EMT bag, this is from the story in Israel's history. Jesus paints this picture for Nicodemus about his own coming crucifixion, which we see clearly now in hindsight. And Nicodemus would come to know just years later during another feast of the Passover when he sees Jesus lifted up like that serpent on the cross 
God's love on full display as self-sacrificing, all-forgiving love for all people. And this is the picture that Jesus paints as if to say the cure for the sickness of sin is found at the cross of Christ. Amen? It goes like this. Jesus says, in the beginning, we all, humanity, was infected by that same venomous serpent that Israel encountered in the wilderness. That a snake came in. You know our, in our story in Genesis. A snake came into humanity's camp. And we've all experienced the, the sting of sin. This venomous poison that is sin. Whether we've been made sick by the sin that we've committed. Self-inflicted wounds. Or whether we've been the victim of someone else's actions and their sin. We all suffer. And yet... Jesus, when he's speaking of this infectious sin in the world, he paints a picture for Nicodemus and says, just as God delivered and healed the people of Israel in the wilderness, God is once again going to do what God always does. And that is to love. That in his love, he's going to save and heal. This is what God has always done, and this is what God will always do. In love, God is moving in action to save and to heal. Jesus then unpacks it even further in the most famous scripture of all of the Gospel of John, our bumper stickers, our stadium signs you've seen at John 3.16. And so this morning, I would just ask us, can we all read this together? John 3, 16 and 17, would you read this aloud? The words will be on the screen for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, we know that scripture so well, I screwed it up because I had it from memory as everlasting life and the ESV is eternal life. But I want to pause for a moment and we all know this verse. We've heard it. We recited it since our childhood. But I want to talk about this word condemned. I want to pause there for a moment. We know this word because of properties, right? If you drive around town today and if you pay attention close enough, you'll come, you will come across a house here in St. Joe that'll have a sign like this hanging in the window. Condemned, right? It's deemed for demolition, unsafe for occupancy. The story of a house wielding this sign would go something like this. A neighbor calls the city, says there's a house on the block that's in obvious distress, that it's Looks as if it's been abandoned, right? This house is an eyesore to the neighborhood. In fact, it's long past its days of fulfilling its purpose as a home. No one's living there. How could they? It's been neglected, used, and abused. And the city would then send an inspector, right? And upon inspection, the city finds the accusations against the house are true. And he takes a sign and hangs it on the front window, condemned, deemed for demolition, It's time to tear this house down, to wipe it off of the face of the earth, annihilate it, lost forever, gone forever. And this is exactly what Jesus says that he did not come to do. 
Rather than condemn the world, God loves the world. And might I even say this, that God loves his world so much that he's moved to action. Not only does he not condemn it, the story of God reacting to the world would go something like this. There's a house in a neighborhood. A neighbor calls, says this house is obviously in distress. It seems that it's been abandoned. Nobody, there's no life that seems to be in it. It's empty, right? It's long past its time of fulfilling its intended purpose. No life is there anymore. It's obviously been neglected, used, and abused. The city would then send an inspector to inspect the home and upon an inspection find that the accusations against it are true. He takes a sign out, puts it on the front window, condemned, deemed for demolition. But Jesus is walking down the street of this neighborhood. And as he comes across this house, he looks up and to his delight, he sees an old home that him and his father built so many years ago. And he stands and thinks, I, I love this home. This is one of my favorite builds we ever did. I know every detail about this home. Oh, the work that we put into it. What an incredible house. So he crosses the street. He comes up the front steps. And as he gets closer, he sees a sign in the window. And he, he reads the words, condemned? Deemed to be demolished? How? How could this be? Who put this here? No way. No, this house cannot be torn down. No, you got to understand. I know this house. The bones are good. I see the potential in this house. If I have to, I will spend my life restoring every brick by brick, every board. I'll do whatever I have to do to work to restore this house to its original beauty once again. So he calls a crew, he says, let's get to work, and they restore the home brick by brick, board by board, until it stands like a shining light in the neighborhood. A family moves in, it's filled with light and love once again. I don't know who this morning needs to hear this, but someone here needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. You are not too far gone. You are not worthless. Yes, you may have been neglected, used, abused. You may be suffering the wounds of your own self-inflicted decisions. You may feel that you have no life left in you, that you are empty and void, that you are far beyond your intended purpose for which you were created. To bear the image of God, to shine bright with the light and love of God. You feel lost. As if the only thing left to do is to disappear. Even other people have pointed an accusing finger at you. Say they're too far gone. Look what they've done. Look what they've experienced. And yet can I say to you this morning. That you have not been abandoned. That there is a creator. The creator. The master builder. Who knit you together in your mother's womb. Who says to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this morning. He sees you. Jesus sees you just as you are. He sees your pain. He sees your brokenness. He sees your emptiness. He sees that darkness that you feel you carry with you. He knows your history. He knows the decisions you've made. He knows what you've experienced. And yet when he looks at you, he still sees that beauty that you were made with. 
before all the stuff happened, before you were infected with that sickness of sin. And when he looks at you, his heart is filled with love for who he created you to be. And he says, though the accusations may be true, I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give my life to see you healed and restored detail after detail in every area of your life. That's what Jesus came to do, to heal and restore. And that's what Jesus is present here this morning to do for you. He stands at your door this morning and the only The only thing you have to do is open the door and let Jesus in to do his saving work in your life. So my invitation to you this morning is to believe and live. Believe and be filled with light and love. Believe and be restored and healed this morning. And that crew that Jesus calls, you know who that is? That's you and I. That's the church. That's us this morning. We're the restoration crew in the world. We've all received this saving and healing and restorative love in our lives. And now we're called to live our lives in such a way where we share that love with others. That we enter into that work with Jesus in the lives of those around us. In fact, when we participate in this life from above... When we believe in Jesus and and we jump into what Jesus is doing, we also participate in the healing of the world. That's what it means to participate in this life from above that Jesus speaks of, this kingdom of God. Just as Nicodemus met with Jesus in the secret place, we too have times of our life. In fact, a lot of our life should be in the secret place, meeting with Jesus. That's where he says we'll find the Father, right? Nicodemus meets with Jesus in the secret place, but though we meet Jesus there, our faith is meant to be on full display as good works in the public space. From the secret place to the public space. Nicodemus leaves his secret meeting with Jesus and he has a residue that remains on him. So that by chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, we see Nicodemus standing up in the midst of the Sanhedrin and declaring that they must adhere to a just trial. There was talks of coercion and corruption in the midst of the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus, by chapter 7, because of the residue, I believe, of the work of Jesus on his life in the midst of that secret meeting, becomes a voice of justice for the sake of Christ. And by chapter 19, towards the end of the Gospel of John and the end of Nicodemus' story as we know it, we see Nicodemus in the public space now, at the cross of Christ, Seeing clearly the work of God on display at the cross. Hearing the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Spoken to the very people crucifying him. And Nicodemus must have been overwhelmed by the love of God. That he is moved to action. And now the man who wouldn't risk it all before. Two years later, puts it all on the line in front of everyone. He takes his place of privilege, utilizes his resources, his wealth to 
to do something on full display in front of everyone and give Jesus the burial fit for a king instead of a criminal. And could I say this morning, gives Jesus a burial fit for the king, for our king. Because Nicodemus, this man who comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness in the beginning, has now been experiencing the love of God in his own life. He risks it all in this moment. and Takes from his place of privilege, his resources, and lavishes them upon Jesus in front of everyone. I think it's a beautiful story. And because of the humble act of love that this man of pride does in this moment, much of the church today calls Nicodemus Saint Nicodemus. And this is what we are called to do. We're called to follow in the footsteps of Nicodemus and move from the secret place where Jesus is working on us to heal and restore our weary and wounded hearts and go from that place to the public space and let the light of Christ shine bright through our good works that people might see what we do and give glory to our Father in heaven. I heard it said this way once, that if what we do this morning within these four walls doesn't then transform and change the streets that we came down to get here, then we have yet to fully enter the kingdom of God here on the earth. Amen. Nicodemus came asking Jesus two questions. Who are you and what are you here to do? We've been here this morning and come to know with Nicodemus the answer to those questions. Jesus is the son of God. And he is here to heal and restore. But we've been sitting in the story. And I believe that now we sit there behind Nicodemus. And Jesus looks past Nicodemus to you this morning and to me. And with eyes of love, I I hear Jesus ask the same question to us. Who are you and what are you here to do? My hope this morning is that we could answer like this. I too am a son of, I too am a daughter of God because I've experienced the healing and restorative love of Christ in my life. And what am I here to do? I am here to share that same love with the world around me that others might experience the same healing and restorative work in their life. Amen. This morning is a special Sunday at Word of Life Church. Obviously, when you came in, you saw that our foyer has been transformed. And it's, uh, it's no secret that World Vision is here today. I, in my notes, I call it World Vision Sunday. And uh, year, uh, I would say it was probably a year, almost a year ago. This coming spring will be a year. Word of Life Church began a new season of ministry in partnership with World Vision. Many of you here today actually joined me and Pastor Derek and and a few others in running with Team World Vision to bring clean water to children all over the world. Do you all remember when we did that as a church? It was wonderful. And uh, we heard from that Sunday, Rusty Funk. Uh, from World Vision. He's the Senior Director of Church and Ministry Partnerships and National Director of Team World Vision. 
And this morning, I'm excited to have Rusty back with us because Rusty shared a story with me about how he experienced that same healing and restoring love in his life, but then took that love and decided to share it with a child halfway around the world. And the story was so powerful that I've asked Rusty to come and share that with us this morning. So would you welcome Rusty Funk to the platform this morning? <laughs> 